And you have told us that the church is your temple, the dwelling place, your dwelling place by your spirit. Uh, Father, that's an astounding thought to us, that we living stones being built one upon the other um, into a temple that is fitting for God. We know, God, that it is through your temple that you manifest your glory, that you reveal yourself um, to us and to the world. And, and so we pray that as part of that temple, as part of church, that we would manifest uh, your glory, that people would know the truth as we declare it and as we uh, live it in the course of our lives, that people would know your glory as they know how we love each other, Father, I'm thinking of the Kaler family and pray your comfort upon Beth and the children and grandchildren and, and Father, on the loss of, of Brad this week. And so we, we pray your blessing upon that family. May we love them well and people would see your glory as they have faced death and still yet trust in you. And Father, as even the Mexico team came back uh, yesterday and uh, we trust, uh, glorified you in that place, uh, the children's haven, uh, among the children there and the staff, and that you were known because of the love which came from them and to them. And so, Father, we pray that we would be your people to glorify you. So bless all that we are and all that we give in such a way that uh, your name would be known uh, around the earth. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So our kids leave for Children's Church. Uh, I want to welcome you to Grace Church this morning. You'll find, as always, the friendship registers. As they um, fill them out, pass them along. Not too many to pass them with this morning on this spring break uh, first Sunday. So welcome this morning. If you're new to us, there'll be some folks in the information kiosk who will greet you. So please make your way uh, there. A number of, uh, of announcements uh, this morning you'll find in the uh, insert. Please note the Holy Week services uh, beginning uh, this coming Sunday is Palm Sunday, of course. And then on uh, that Thursday evening is the, our Monday Thursday service. That word Monday comes from the uh, word mandate, uh, which uh, was the mandate that Jesus gave his disciples on that night that they were to love one another as he had loved them. And so we gather on that evening to think that through, what that means for us, and to celebrate communion on that night as well. Then our Good Friday service, uh, you can see as well, on the 30th and uh, beginning also at 7.15, a time for us just to be quiet before the Lord and gather together and read from the scripture and sing a bit. Um, and then Easter Sunday morning, you'll notice worship service times are the same, 8.15, 10.45, but no Sunday school on that day just to allow families to gather together and uh, other folks from the church to gather that, t together that uh, day as well. So please notice that we have a work day coming up this coming Saturday. 
March 24th during the morning, so you can see the details there. We've already begun some of that, and so uh, please come. It's a great time of fellowship together and get some work done, spruce the place up uh, before um, Holy Week comes, uh, comes upon us. Then, of course, just to uh, announce to you, as you probably know by now, our dear brother and friend uh, Brad Kaler passed away this week. And um, so the funeral for um, Brad will be 2.30 this coming Saturday. So at 2.30 on Saturday, there'll be a visitation from 1 to 2.30 if you want to come early and meet the family. All that will be uh, here at our church facility. So uh, that funeral, 2.30 uh, this coming Saturday. As we uh, come now to the scripture, let me ask you please uh, to pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, we are grateful for your word. We learn that church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And um, we know those very special apostles and prophets um, who wrote the scripture, inspired teachers, um, that this foundation once laid never needs to be changed or added to but we have it. And so we're grateful even as we come and read this passage this morning and think about it together. We pray that your spirit would be with us, uh, giving light to our eyes. We understand it and believe it and that it may uh, be used by you to grant us grace to transform our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to Ephesians in chapter 2. Ephesians in chapter 2, please. I want to read beginning in verse 11 and through the end of the chapter. So Ephesians in chapter 2. This, of course, is the word of God. Verse 11. Therefore, remember it that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And together we say, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now, if God will help me, I want to take up just the last of this, these last uh, three verses. Uh, we did the first 18 
with a touch on these last ones last Sunday. So just these verses. So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place uh, for God. Last week we saw the whole of this. Um, and again, I just want to take up uh, these particular verses. They're the so what of it, the so then as he has it here, but the so what of it. And you might remember, just if I could build the case uh, as Paul's writing this letter, um, his real purpose in writing or what he wants to convey, it comes uh, from uh, the first chapter, uh, verses 9 and 10, where he says that he's making known to us the mystery of his will that is God's will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That is, the plan of God's creation is that he's going to gather up everything under the lordship of Christ. And we can see this as, as he begins to make his case. Uh, the beginning of this um, Chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, we realize that every blessing that is ours comes to us in Christ Jesus. That's the emphasis there. We're chosen in Christ for every spiritual blessing. And we're chosen to be holy and blameless in God's sight, in his presence. Um, That comes in Christ. We're adopted, predestined. For adoption as sons through Christ. In Christ we're redeemed. To receive the forgiveness of sins. In Christ we have an inheritance. In Christ we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And we receive the Spirit as as a guarantee that everything that is ours, our inheritance, um, uh, is indeed ours. And we'll know it. Um, One day we'll have full possession of it, if you will. And so all of those blessings come to us. In Christ, but then you say, "But Jesus died, and, and yet Christ was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father, where He rules and reigns. He's He's head over all things and given to the Church. He's head of all all things um, for the Church, ruling and reigning over all things. So Christ's death didn't hinder God from." Uniting all things in him under his lordship. In fact, it was necessary for it. So he could be raised and seated and ruling and reigning over all things. But then what about us? I mean, the scripture says that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. That we're enslaved uh, to the world and to the devil and even to our own sinful inclinations. And by nature, we're under the wrath of God. And so, so, so what about us? Well, he dealt with that too. Uh, through in Christ, um, because it says that that we too were raised, and we too were seated with Christ in the heavenly places. By grace we have been saved; we have been rescued from from the wrath of God. Romans six tells us that that, that that we're united to Christ in His death. That when He died, we died, and when He died once to sin, we died to sin as well. In that way, God could be just, Romans 3 tells us, and the justifier of all those who have faith in Jesus. He could be just. He dealt with our sin. Uh, God is righteous. He can't just slide or sweep our sin under the rug, but, but he deals with it. And so Christ 
took the penalty for the sins of all those who would believe in him. All those who don't will bear the consequences of their own sins. But all sins will be paid for one way or the other, dealt with one way or the other, because God is just. And because he's just, then he can also then justify, declare righteous, those who have faith in Jesus, those who believe that Jesus took their sins, thus their sins paid for by him. And then we were raised with Christ, the newness of life. And he, even spiritually, it says we're seated with him in the heavenly places. And he rules and reigns there. And so we with him. And so we know then that sin will be conquered and even death. Ruling and reigning with him. So uh, he's dealing with every hindrance of gathering or uniting all things together under the lordship of Christ. Christ now rules and reigns. We are with him. But then what about this problem of divisions among human beings. We see it all the time. We see it among nations, of course. The distrust that one nation has um, for another. Um, this distrust leads to treaties that need inspectors. You're right? We can't even trust when we come to a, make a treaty with another nation. We have to have inspectors just to spec, inspect it to make sure that we're abiding by it. Why? Because we don't, we don't trust each other. We see even deep hatred. One nation to another. We, we see even in personal relationships, neighbor against neighbor. Even in the course of family, we see distrust and we see division and hatred. So how will he ever bring the human family in any way, shape or form together? And he says, well, he does that in Christ through the cross. We, we see this, this division that God himself made between Jew and Gentile uh, because of the promise made that one would come from Israel, one would come from the seed of Abraham to bless all the families of the world. And so God created commandments and ordinance that kept Israel separate from, from all the other nations, whether they were food laws or agricultural laws or clothing laws or even, even some uh, laws of how they practiced uh, coming into the presence of God through priests and a temple and, and even the sign that they received that was special for them, circumcision. And yet when Christ came, you see, all was opened up. There was no longer need for that separation any longer, that all would come to God through faith in Jesus and thus no division. So as Paul would write in Galatians in chapter 3 that there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, no male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And, and not only that, you see, because of the cross, our boasting in ourselves is completely destroyed. We can take no pride in our ourselves, whether it's our heritage or our race or our nationality or most especially our goodness. Any of that, that's all blown out the window. Uh, we come in together through Christ. And when we come to him, we say that we're just like everyone else, sinners in his sight without hope except in his sovereign mercy. And we receive and depend upon our Lord Jesus as he's offered to us in the gospel as the savior of sinners. All of us come that way. And when once we've admitted that, you see, how can we boast in ourselves? How can I boast in myself once I've admitted that the best I can do is to deserve the condemnation of God? It takes away all boasting, you see. And we all come in that exact same manner. And so the cross, you see, obliterates such boasting. 
and thus such pride and thus any division that should be, could be upon pride, one being better than the other, none is better than the other. And so we come to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, what's happened then? There's there's reconciliation. There's reconciliation between us, believers, and God. And there's reconciliation with each other. That God has removed the barriers to all of that because he's removed any boasting, any reason for pride in and of ourselves. We all come to him the same way through Christ. So he says he's made really the two one. He's made a new man out of two. Really, we could say a new humanity, the church. Here we are together. And so now he, he lays this out in, in more detail as we come to these verses. He gives us some models, if you will, or some ways to think about who we are as the church. Uh, he says that we're fellow citizens of God's kingdom and we're fellow members of God's family and we're fellow stones that are making this very dwelling place for God. We're God's, God's temple. Let's think about that uh, together just briefly. Uh, verse 19, so then... You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints. So, so Paul's using this idea of a kingdom. He says you're, you're citizens now altogether. His point ultimately is there are no second or third class citizens in this kingdom. We're all first class citizens. We're all the same, if you will. Uh, we all belong together in the kingdom of of God. We've been born into this kingdom, if you will, by his spirit. And here we are. We come through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says we're, we once were strangers and aliens. That is to say, we once didn't belong. We were not citizens of this kingdom. And now he says we are citizens of this kingdom. I, I suppose, and I mean nothing political by this. I used the same illustration 20 years ago. But I suppose it's rather like being an undocumented immigrant in a particular culture. We, we know more about that now, what that means, what that looks like for people. But, but, but what, it, what it means is that you're completely disenfranchised legally from the benefits and privileges of a particular nation. You have no rights there particularly. So if, if you need protection, you have nowhere to go. Because if you go to the authorities, they'll arrest you. And so you have nowhere to go. There, there's no way to engage legally in the culture to, to really um, improve yourself, as we might say, uh, economically. Uh, because you're always living in the shadows. You're always wondering, are they going to find out about me? I don't really have a right to do this. I really am not here, if you will, legally in, in that sense. You're disenfranchised from the, from the place where you're living. And, 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 and God says to us, you were once like that. But now you're not. And now you have full rights in the kingdom of God. And now you see you have the full rights to to plead your case before the king. You have full rights to pray, to seek his help, to seek his protection. 
in a sense, other than confession of your sin, there's, there's no apology here. There's, you know, I'm, I'm allowed in. I, I belong in this place. If, if, if I need the protection of, of God, I can go to him. Uh, because I, I belong here. I'm a citizen of this kingdom. If I need his provision, if I need his help, if I need his forgiveness. And in fact, not only that, but, 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 but the host of heaven defends us. I mean, we, we have a whole defense, if you will. In fact, our Lord Jesus is the very one who intercedes for us. I mean, the scripture says in, in Hebrews and, and chapter 7 and uh, verse uh, 25 that he lives, Jesus does, uh, to intercede uh, for us. Consequently, we read, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession. And so if we need defending anywhere, even in heaven, Jesus is there for us. The king, Jesus, defends us all the time, provides for us. We have every right to these these wonderful blessings in our Lord Jesus Christ. I've never witnessed this personally. I've seen newscasts of of, um, uh, immigrants becoming citizens, taking the... um, the oath of allegiance. I've seen newscasts of that. And, and, and it's, as they show the faces of people, it's astounding to us. We take it, I take it so for granted that I belong here and all that sort of thing. But to see their faces as they enter in in this, in this way, some are very serious. You can see the seriousness with which they take it. Others are just beaming. You see this incredible smile on their face. And others are in tears because they, they realize the place from which they've come of no opportunity and no protection to now the place where they are coming and they have a great sense of protection and opportunity. Uh, I grew up um, in the, as a young kid in the late 50s, early 60s in a community in western Pennsylvania and in growing up, I didn't know anyone who didn't have someone in their household, usually a grandparent, who uh, spoke with an accent. I mean, everybody came from somewhere else in that community. And so uh, accents were everywhere. And, 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 and often we could talk to those who um, came from other countries. I spoke with my grandfather who came from England. And, uh, and uh, I never knew my grandmother. My maternal grandmother, really, but but my grandfather. Why'd you come here? And we would talk, why'd you come here? And it was always, always the answer was for my children, for the opportunities for my children, because the opportunities here were better for my children, because the freedom that was here was better for our family, all that kind of thing to bettering themselves. And, and that's this sense, not that we're bettering ourselves, if you will, we are, but by coming to faith in Christ. But But you get the point of it, the hope that we have, because we're now citizens of this, Kingdom, But the point that he really wants to make here, Paul does, is that we're fellow citizens. That we're in this together. That as a believer in Jesus, I have no right to keep you from the blessings of the kingdom of God if you're a believer in Jesus. No matter what may have been true of your past, no matter what may even be brewing in your present, 
no matter what may be your nationality or your race or your language or education level or your income or any of that, none of us has the right to keep a fellow citizen from the rights of being part of the kingdom, the blessing of being part of the kingdom of God, you see. And that's the sense of it as we live and as we, um, as we are together. And then, then the second one that he gives to us, he says that we're a members of the household of God. And that's a common one to us. We know we're part of the family of God. God is our father. He even mentions that we've been adopted into his family through Jesus Christ, our elder brother. He, he makes the way for us. And, 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 and this is a more intimate thing. It's not that we share as citizens, but now we share as family. God, yes, is our father. Uh, and, and one of the things about family is that we are to resemble our parents. We're to resemble our father. In fact, Peter puts it in Second uh, Peter, Second Peter, chapter one, quite um, provocatively. He says this. He says, "So that through them, that is the promise of God, promises of God, you may become partakers of the divine nature." He doesn't mean that we become divine. He doesn't mean we cease being human and become divine or become some hybrid. It simply means that as those created in the image of God, we're now being recreated in the image of God to resemble our father. And the way that we're to resemble him is, is, is by love. He's love. We're to resemble him in, as, as love. You know, one of the Reasons that it's so important for us to understand that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Trinity, three in one, is because it means he's always been love. If he were just one, he would, there would be nothing for him to love till he created. But he's always been love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father has always loved the Son. The Son has always loved the Father. The Father has always loved the Spirit. The Spirit has always loved the Son. And so in the midst of this loving community, a loving community is made. That's why it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. Isn't it fascinating in Genesis 1 and 2 that everything is good and everything is good and everything is good and until we read it wasn't good that Adam was alone. It wasn't good for man to be alone. Why? Because he was just one. There was no one for him to love. He looked at all the animals and named them. But the scripture says, in I think a rather humorous kind of way, no suitable helper for Adam was found. Like he said, giraffe. Nah, not going to work. Right? So he named all the animals. There wasn't anyone for him to love, you see. And so there came one bone of his bones, flesh of his flesh, for him to love. Of course, then, the image of God... God created male and female. He created them in his image, male and female together, you see. And so so now he's created, how could he create this new humanity, you see, without being family, without love? And so, you see, we're to love one another. We know the difference inherently between just relating to one another as a citizen and relating to one another as family. As citizens, we know the rights that each of us has and how we're to treat one another in that sense. But as family, you see, we're to treat one another with love. And there's this acceptance. It's fascinating to me that even when families are estranged, 
When there is need, one contacts family. I mean, not always, but, but, but there's that sense still. And when you contact family, you might do it sheepishly in some sense, but, but you're expecting them to receive you because we're family. I know I haven't spoken to you for 30 years, but, but, but really. Here I am on your doorstep. <laughs> Take me in. And families do that. As citizens, uh, we might help you get a room somewhere. But as family, we take in. There's this acceptance, you see. There's just something about it. There's this tie. And he says, no, we have that kind of tie together. And so, as we relate to one another as family to love each other, then great blessing comes to us. And of course, it's difficult. By the time we get to chapter 4, he'll tell us this, that this unity that we have both as citizens but as family takes some work. And so he says, he says, so with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He says, that's what we're to be. He says, it, it takes this. It takes humility. You have to see the needs of the others more important than your own. That's love. It's kind of love that is to exist in family. And to see the needs of the other is more important than your own. With gentleness. Gentleness. To, to be kind. To love in such a way that the other one is able to receive it. To love in such a way that the one being loved is, doesn't feel bad about you going out of your way for them. Because they know that you would do it. Because you love them, you see. With patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirits and the bond of peace, this sense of, of family. And to know then for sure that we're, we, we, none of us will be disinherited. We all have this inheritance together from our Heavenly Father. The third image is this one. He says that we're built... Uh, it's this image of temple, that we're the dwelling place of God. And he says, we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That is amazing. I mean, you think about the fact, here we are as the people of God. What's our identity? Well, God lives within us. Temples were places where the gods lived. In Ephesus, there was a a magnificent temple built to the goddess Diana. Uh, It was at that time one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was so magnificent. And it was said that she dwelt in that place. In the temple in in Jerusalem, uh, at least for a time, God dwelt Amongst his people, the, the glory of God was there. I read a bit earlier this morning from, from um, Solomon's dedication of the temple. But we realize this prior to that passage I read in First Kings chapter 8 also. In First Kings chapter 8 verse 10, it says, And when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that... The priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Now, we know that, 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 that a house built with human hands can't contain God, of course, but, but he manifested his presence in that temple. That's the point of it. He says, I'll dwell among you by my spirit. I'm going to manifest my presence to you and to the world through my 
new humanity, my new man, my church. Think about that. Peter puts it like this on uh, First um, Peter and uh, chapter 2. He writes, um, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So here we are, together priests, to show the world who God is. We're his dwelling place, dwelling place by his, in his temple. First Corinthians in chapter 3, I read, we read responsively earlier, and uh, uh, verse... 16, do you not know that you, and the significant part there is that the you is plural. Chapter 6, you'll talk about a you singular, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and therefore don't sin against God with your body. But here he's speaking to the collective, he's speaking to the group. Don't you know that you are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in you, if Paul were a, or John were a, uh, Jesus, I guess, or, uh, I'm sorry, Paul were a Southerner at that point, he'd say, you all, that you all, or even the bigger plural for Southerners, all y'all, are, right? He dwells in you. The Holy Spirit does. And we're to manifest the very presence of God. And so notice the structure of this, of this temple. It says first that it's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And we talk about a foundation, you talk about something that's, that's established, that's something that's laid once and for all. So that whatever Paul means by apostles and prophets, he means inspired teachers who have already done this. It's already done. These apostles and prophets have already laid the foundation. Foundations don't get relayed. Foundations don't get changed. Foundations don't get moved. There's a foundation. It's the apostles and prophets. Uh, we don't we trust that apostle. He means those who walked closely with Jesus, those who were witnesses of his resurrection. So that would include, of course, Paul, who was who, um, who um, was a witness to the resurrection of Jesus uh, on the way to Damascus as he was knocked off his horse. And so we, we look at the writings in the New Testament by apostles and those who are close associates with apostles. Uh, here we have it. Prophets could be meaning the Old Testament prophets, so it's built on that same foundation. It's likely that he means New Testament prophets or those who were inspired um, apostles and prophets together to, to lay out this New Testament as we, as we have it. We, we, we think it could be these New Testament prophets because of the order in which he puts it, apostles and prophets. You'd think if he were talking about Old Testament prophets, he'd be at least chronological, prophets and apostles. And in chapter 3, he speaks of uh, more current prophets. But he doesn't mean any old prophet. He doesn't mean any old prophet. If prophets exist today, it doesn't mean prophets like today that are adding to this foundation. But he means those prophets and apostles who already laid this foundation. What we have in the scripture, the very word of God, the foundation is laid. And then it says Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. You don't have to be in the construction business to know what this cornerstone is because he, are, he tells us about it. He says, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together. So that Jesus joins everything together. Now we know in the days of Paul and before cornerstones were huge. 
And they would hold the whole building together. And and that's Jesus. Students often, students who are graduating and who move on to other cities often write us back or call us or ask before they go, what should I look for in a church? This is it. The foundation and the cornerstone, first and foremost. What's the foundation? Is it on the word of God? What's the cornerstone? What holds it all together with Jesus? Okay, then, then we're good. All right? That's, that's, that's good to know. Who, what do we understand about the scripture? We understand about Christ and his work, that he holds it all together. And then finally, he says that we're being joined together and we grow into a holy temple. That was the point that Peter was making, that we're living stones being built one upon the other. It feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? Because this temple is growing. The foundation staying the same. The cornerstone's in place. But this temple is growing. It's being added to all the time by more and more stones, you see. And it isn't localized. It's international. It's interracial. Because how could it be localized since Jesus has redeemed people from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation? I mean, it's all over everywhere. It's, it's everywhere, this temple. Uh, so it's people, and it's Christians, and it's believers, you see, and, and, and it's all these stones. And, and God is making us a place fitting for him to dwell. You know, if you're looking for a new house, Aren't you asking that question? What place is fitting for our family to dwell, to live in? And so, um, square feet, and what are the appliances like? What are the, what are the, what's the flooring like? What's the roof like? What's the backyard like? What's the front yard like? What's it look like from the curb? All these things. You're looking at this place and you're saying, uh, I, I want a place that's fitting. And, and sometimes you, you buy a place and you go, well, it needs some work. And so you renovate a bed and you do some work in the house. And then finally you go, ah, oh, it fits us. That's what God's doing, you see. He's taking us and he's fitting us together into a into a dwelling for himself where people can see that place and go, I know who lives there. God lives there. So he's taking stones and he's sandblasting them. You know how that feels. (laughs) You know what it's like to be shaped and formed by God, sometimes gently, sometimes not so much. And then fit together to be this place Where God dwells, you see, and he's to manifest his presence among us. We can't do that alone. We actually need each other to do that. In John in chapter 14, in verse 21, uh, you have Jesus speaking and John's putting it down for us. And he says, Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Ever read that sentence? I'll manifest myself to him. Jesus said, I'll show myself to those who has my commandments and keeps them and loves me. Now, what are the commandments of Jesus? Well, he summarizes his commandments like this. Love one another as I've loved you. (laughs) And so what happens, you see, when we love each other 
Jesus manifests himself. The, the glory of God is shown uh, where his very dwelling place is shown through us, his, his temple. How, how do we see the glory of Jesus? We see the glory of Jesus often as we, as we really care and love for each other, you see. Because when we really have a desire to love each other, we see Christ at work. We see him at work. I don't know about you, but when, when I see you and you have a need and, and I, I love you, so therefore I want to meet that need, I very often feel quite inadequate. I think that's way beyond me. I, I don't know how that's ever going to be met. And yet we show up in each other's lives and what happens? The Lord shows himself. And at the end of the day, the need is met in a particular way and with a particular abundance and we think, wow. How'd that happen? That it was the Lord. And he showed himself. He manifested himself. We saw his glory as we loved each other, you see. And then as we forgive each other, and the Lord manifests himself. And he says, now you know what, now you know what it means that I forgive. You know the sacrifice. You know the pain of it. To forgive the cost of it, to forgive. And I know it far more. When we're patient with each other, he says, you know me now. I've been patient with you. When we're compassionate with each other, he says, well, you you know me now. You've been compassionate and you know my compassion. When we're gentle to each other and with each other, he says, oh, now you know me better because I've been gentle with you. He manifests his presence. I looked at my watch. I know what time it is. just want you to know that. Um, but I want to share this. I'm going to pick this up later in chapter 4. But I just want to put this in your mind. It's a little complicated. It's a C.S. Lewis thing. But it, it's a little complicated. And that, that we really need each other if we're going to know God, if he's going to manifest himself to us. In a, in a little chapter that Lewis writes in a book called The Four Loves on Friendship, he says, he uses this illustration that we need each other to really know each other. His point will be something like this. I'll read you the, the passage. You'll understand it when I tell you this. He says, if, if there are three friends and you lose one, you think, now I'll get to know the friend who's left even better. And he says, no, you won't. You need all three. Because you need to see how that third friend interacts with the second friend in order to really understand your second friend. Because you're, you're not capable of knowing everything about him. For instance, my mom passed away in 2011 after the funeral. We were sitting at one of my sister's houses talking about my mom. Now, you have to understand that I'm the fourth child. I have three older sisters, and I'm the favorite. She would say that if you were here. My dad's not here this morning, but next time you see him, ask him who the favorite of the children were. He'll say me. It's just the way it is. Now, so I knew my mom in a particular way. But as my sisters talked about her, I learned her about her in a whole different way. I didn't know she was, I didn't even know she could like discipline. <laughs> they did. I never caught any of that, as you might be able to tell. But, 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 but uh, I didn't know they could have as many cookies. They couldn't have as many cookies as they wanted. I didn't know any of that stuff uh, about my mom. But, but I got to know her better. Through them. So Lewis puts it like this. He says, someone says that if there are three friends, A, B, and C, and A should die, then B loses not only A, 
but A's part in C. That's a little complicated. While C loses uh, not only A, but A's part in B. In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my, than my own to show all his facets. And then, then he writes, now Charles is dead. That was a friend of his, Charles Williams, who was a writer in England. He said, now Charles is dead. I shall never again see Ronald's, that's Tolkien, Ronald's reaction to a specifically Caroline joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself and now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. True friendship is the least jealous of loves. Two friends delight in being joined by a third and a third by a fourth. If only the newcomer is qualified to become a real friend. You see, the more we're added to the body of Christ, the better we come to know God. Do you know how much more I know of God because I know you? Because God deals in your life and acts in your life, not only in ways to love me and me to love you, but God deals and works in your life in particular ways that he may not work in my life. I may not know that personally about him, but I, but I see it in your life. And so all of us together, you see, begin to manifest the glory of God. If it's just me, it's not so glorious. <laughs> if it's all of us together as we love, Jesus manifests himself to us as he manifests himself to you, and and I see that, and I see God at work in your life, that causes me to know him better. And then as we all do this together, you see, the very point of it is so the world would see the glory of God. And so as we love each other, and as God manifests himself among us, what happens is that 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 glory spills out, and people see, oh yes, I I know who lives there, I I know who they're, God, you see. And so as people go to Mexico and love there, as, as people go in various parts of the world, you see, to love and to take, people see the glory of God. And so you see, we need each of us in, in our differences and our likes and our different backgrounds and our similar backgrounds and all of that. Because you see, without each other, we'll never know God as we'll know him together. And without each other, we'll never manifest the glory of God as we'll manifest the glory of God together. And all of this, you see, comes to us through, because of the cross, because of Christ. Tonight, Jesus was betrayed. He took bread after giving thanks. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. And again, after giving thanks to this too, he gave to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And the apostle adds, as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we declare the Lord's death until he comes. What are we declaring so much? We're declaring we're reconciled with God. We're declaring we're reconciled with each other. We're declaring that we're the very dwelling place of God by his spirit, that we manifest his glory. All of us, together. Let's pray. Father, please, I pray, take this bread, this juice. Let us know that we're in the very presence of Jesus, the cornerstone, the one who 
pulls us all together, the one who holds all of this together, that in him, we in him, our fellow citizens, our brothers and sisters, are the dwelling place of God. Take this bread, this juice, please. Set it apart that we would know that. Minister that to us. Even as we come together to this table. In Jesus' name.